you'd be with uh, be with the folks who are here today. Help them to um, just listen from a place of uh, of readiness to receive your word, Lord. I pray that they would be uh, fertile soil, Lord, uh, well watered and and just ready to to hear from you, Lord. Um, draw us into your presence. Let us let us uh, know you more through this this time of uh, hearing the word. And I pray that you'd be with me and help me to just be faithful to the text. Help me to be faithful to the scriptures and not, you know, get in the way and not put anything of myself in it, but just to, just to share Jesus with the folks who are here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Move this so I don't trip over it, because I already see it happening. The, uh, when I was in elementary school, uh, I, I, one of the requirements for, for the elementary school I went to uh, was that we go to a week of summer camp. And so we had to go to this summer camp in Probably in Mar- it was in Maryland, actually. Yeah, that was it was a long time ago, um, and and I I at the time I was not a very socially gifted person. Um, I know it's it's a shocking revelation that that may have ever been the case, um, but I I I was kind of one of the one of the, uh, the 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 outcast kids. I didn't have a lot of friends. We moved a lot, and and I uh, I said dumb things in public a lot, and I I like to read. I know, <laughs> lucky that's changed. Uh, and and so we <laughs> so we went to this week of summer camp, and I I remember I actually got put in uh, a cabin in a bed next to one of the coolest kids in school, right? And his name was Shane. That's how much I remember. Like it's been a hundred years, and and I still even remember his whole name. Actually, I could probably find him on Facebook. And he had a miserable time at summer camp, and I spent most of the week talking to him, and we became friends. And I remember the next week I was talking to some other kids, the kids who were in the gifted class. And when the gifted kids, like, make fun of you because you're geeky, like, that's a bad sign. And, and I was talking to these guys, and, and one of them, I said, oh, well, I was talking to Shane the other day. And they're like, no, you weren't. He didn't talk to you. You're a loser. Like, there's no way he talks to you. And, and I, I was trying to figure out how to, how to talk about what we're talking about today. And, and I wanted to, this is the best example from our culture I could come up with is social order. Right? Anybody go to a school where there was a, a pecking order? <laughs> really? Just my wife and I and Michael? <laughs> wow, this is going to be a rough sermon. Um, yeah, it's Big Sandy. There's no social order here. <laughs> um, the, in, in the ancient world, there was a social order. And it was a very rigid and tough-to-escape social order. You could not climb the social order if you were at a certain level, right? And everything was about honor and respect and everything else. And so, like, as we get into the text we're looking at today, you need to kind of bring yourself into the mindset of junior high, where, where your status was something that everybody noticed, right? And who you associated with. And if you had a party, how many people showed up? Like, if you were having a going-away party and you were inviting the whole church... Like how many people might show up to that or to your birthday party or your ordination service. <laughs> hint, hint. Um, <laughs> the, the, but like people showing up or not showing up was a big deal. And it would determine where you landed in the culture. And so for a person to have um, um, any kind of a meal where they invited folks, it was a building opportunity, right? It was where you would declare to the public, this is how popular and how wealthy and how important I am, right? And so as we start off, um, that's kind of my big explanation. There are social insiders and social outsiders in the Jewish world. 
And this is something, it just was what it was. You couldn't be a great athlete and climb into it, right? You couldn't be an outsider and, like, you know, be really intelligent or really popular and build your way into the insider crowd. Like, you were there or you weren't, and that's all there was to it. Um, Jesus is an oddball because Jesus was poor, right? He came from a poor background. He was a laborer, and yet Jesus managed through, like, probably the fact that he was God, um, he managed to climb out of his level. And when he got there, he was a very difficult guy to associate with, right? Um, Because he was the guy you didn't want to invite to a party. Because when you invited him, and if you did something kind of silly, he he would call you on and he would never let you go. Everybody with me? And actually, John, or Luke 14, we're starting out. A little background here. He starts out where this guy comes to this, this, this Pharisee's like party, and Jesus is there, and the guy's got a withered hand, and he asks Jesus to heal him. And in front of all of these people, they're like, well, he can't heal him. It's the Sabbath. Like, oh, it's the day of rest. If you heal someone on the day of rest, that's work. Now, let's hold aside, like, hey, you're going to perform a miracle, like, like that you can't even see the fact that the guy's about to perform a miracle, for the fact that he needs to follow your rules, right? And these aren't the Sabbath rules. I mean, the Sabbath rules were specific. You had to rest on the Sabbath. But the Jewish people didn't want to break it, so they had these huge collections of rules. You couldn't travel further than this number of miles away from your house, and you couldn't, like, you know, prepare meals on the Sabbath, and you couldn't, you know, there were all these intricate rules. Couldn't make your bed on the Sabbath, so every day is a Sabbath at my house. Um, but they looked at him and said, well, you can't heal a man on the Sabbath. Are you really going to do that? And Jesus was like, wait a minute. If I had an ox that fell in a hole, I'd dig it out on the Sabbath. Like, you would do that. Why can't I heal this guy? And they were all quiet. Jesus gets really mad. Like, like it's actually one of the instances in the scriptures where Jesus loses his temper. And I think that's sort of the impetus for the rest of the conversation. Because he heals the guy, and then he goes on and he says, hey, when you show up to a wedding feast, if you're invited to a wedding feast, you should sit at the lower spot on the table And, like, sit there, and eventually someone might invite you to a better seat. And if you're invited to a better seat, that's good because it'll make you look good. If they make you sit at a lower seat, that's bad because it'll be humiliating. And they're, like, thinking that he's offering social advice. And really what Jesus is saying is, you people think too highly of yourselves, right? He's saying, the people in this room, you guys, you Pharisees, they're the Pharisees. They are the religious elite. These are the guys that God likes, right? And that everybody knows God likes. They dress in special clothes. They um, had big processionals when they would do, like, offering and stuff like that. I mean, these are the guys everybody knew they were better than everyone else. They were the cool kids in town, which, which is the guys that Jesus generally had the biggest problems with. Um, and so he said, hey, you know what? You should not think higher of yourself because you're going to get moved down. You're going to get humiliated thinking that you're better than you are. Um, and then he goes on and he says, hey, you know what? When you have a dinner feast, like a big meal, you should invite people who can't repay you. Now, in this culture, like that is unheard of. Nobody did that. Everybody with me? This is like saying, hey, you know what? When you have a big party, junior high kid, you need to invite the chess club, right? You need to invite the band kids. My wife left the room, and so she didn't hear me say that. I did that just for her benefit. Um, You need to invite Jeremy. Um, Like... (laughs) The, 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 
the social outcasts. Invite these people because, you know what, like people who like are popular or wealthy or are the in crowd, they can repay you. People who are on the outside can't repay you, and God will repay you. And again, he, they think he's sort of creating this social order thing. And in reality, what he's doing is he's saying, listen, you're too worried about class. You're too worried about rules. You're too worried about these things. And in fact, you think way too much about yourselves. Like you, you have yourself in too high of an opinion. So this is kind of the setup. And we're going to be diving into the parable of the great banquet here. Um, we're going to do a couple of uh, sermons on this topic. And it is very well-timed considering the birthday party and the the going away party and then the uh the barbecue next week like like so jesus has said these controversial things there's stillness in the room everybody is like paused and then one of the pharisees um oh, i'm sorry i was actually going to read that all right um when one of those reclined at the table with him heard these things he said to him blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of god now he's like uh uh, you know, Jesus has stepped out here and said, hey, you know, the low people are the people you want to invite. You know, you want to make yourself lower than you think you are, which is the opposite of what the Pharisees are doing. And this guy jumps in and says, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know what? Let's change the subject. In eternity, it'll be great. Won't it be great when we're all able to stand in the kingdom of God and eat together? Because the Jewish people had this belief that at the end of the world, God would gather his people up and they would have this great banquet. This, this huge meal, this giant party, and that that's how, like, eternity would begin. They would gather with God and eat a meal. Anybody see the irony? Like, they're sitting with God having a meal, and they don't realize it. They've completely missed it. And you know why? Because they're sitting with God, and they're thinking about where they are on the social ladder. Everybody catch that? Everybody's so worried about like, oh, well, this guy, he, you know, let's, he needs to obey our, our rules on the Sabbath. He needs to do these things. He needs to come to heal with us. Um, he needs to recognize that we're the religious elite. And, and like they're so worried about all that that they miss the fact that they're sitting with the Son of God, a man who literally just healed a man who had a withered hand, like made it regrow. Like they watched this and they missed it because they're so worried about everything else that they don't see it. And Jesus responds, but he said to them, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Um, And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Now, there are a couple of things that are here as hints that Jewish people at the time would have caught a great banquet, right? Like, so he acknowledges this is a huge meal. This is a culture where people actually starve to death, Right. This is a culture where people would farm and you would subsistence farm, right? The average farm would um, be about six acres of land and you would work your farm to get by. And that was assuming nobody came along and took what you grew for taxes or an army didn't wander through and eat it just because they could or what have you. I mean, this is a rotten, hard culture to live in. And so Jesus talks about this man who throws a great banquet, implying that it is a huge meal. Um, And he invited many. For you to have a meal where you invite a lot of folks is expensive. And he is implying that the man who's throwing this banquet is super important, right? Way up on the social scale. This is, I don't know, who who is even, uh, this is is a celebrity inviting you to dinner, right? This is the governor of Montana. Well, maybe that's not that important. Um, (laughs) This is, (laughs) sorry. 
I'm a horrible person. Um, But this is being invited by a very important person. And the day comes, everybody is RSVP'd because you wouldn't just, like, make a whole lot of food because refrigeration was not very good or non-existent mainly. And so if you had a giant meal and nobody showed up, you had to eat all of it or throw a lot of food away, and it would be a huge insult. And so he sends out his servants to collect everybody up. It's assuming it's probably mid to late day, like everything is set. It is the day of the party. It is go time. Um, But they all, all of them, but they all alike began to make excuses. Um, The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Um, (laughs) We'll we'll get to these individually in a second, okay? Um, There's an irony here. Um, It probably would have been caught by the Jewish audience. Uh, In the book of Deuteronomy, there's this explanation. Hey, if it's time to go to war, right, you are going to go out and fight the enemy. Um, Then the officer shall speak to the people, saying, Is there a man who has built a new house and he has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man enjoy its fruit. Uh, And is there any man who is betrothed to a wife and has not taken her yet? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man take her. And the officer shall speak further to the people. Is there a man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, um, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. Um, and so there are all these excuses as to why you don't have to go to battle, right? And they include, hey, do you have farming issues? Go deal with your farm, right? Hey, did you just get married? You probably ought to stay home and, like, be with your wife instead of going to battle. Like, and so Jesus might be, actually, he probably is, making a joke, right? Because these excuses kind of mirror the list of reasons you wouldn't go to battle, except they are reasons they are not going to a party. (laughs) And so he's implying, hey, these are extra dumb reasons. These are extra dumb reasons to miss this dinner. Um, And to take it a step further, for all of the guests to a party to agree not to go or to say, hey, I'm not going, this is an insult of like a galactic level. Like I, we have nothing in our culture that parallels it. You cannot insult someone this much in our culture, right? A few years ago, Abby had a birthday party and nobody, nobody was able to go. And I, I remember being really hurt for my daughter and really upset that no one was going to go to her birthday party. And I, I was, I was, I mourned for my little girl, right? And she didn't care. And, um, <laughs> and it turned out well and everybody, but like, like, this would have been a public, everybody knows nobody came. And so his position as a social superior is destroyed. And he didn't invite just anyone. Like, because these excuses, like when you start digging into them, they're worse than they sound. Um, I have bought a field and I must go to see it. Now, the only person who would ever buy a field that they haven't looked at is somebody with more money than they know what to do with, right? And probably somebody who doesn't live in the country. Because honestly, how many of y'all don't roughly have an idea about your neighbor's fields? I mean, it's not like you don't go buy them all the time. This is a guy who lives in a city and says, oh, you know what? Got to go check out the farm I just bought. Um, Couldn't do it tomorrow, apparently. Um, And another said, I have five yoke of oxen. Now, if you have five yokes of uh, of oxen, we're talking about maybe 10 animals, right? This is about enough to farm 100, 110 acres, right? 
ancient world, no one farmed that much. The average farm was three to six acres, three to six. So this guy is super wealthy, and he's saying, hey, you know what? Just bought a new combine, going to go check it out. Anybody here ever buy a combine? I haven't. I bought a car. You know what I did with the car before I bought it? I drove it. <laughs> and I looked under the hood, and I looked at the maintenance history, which is probably made up. Um, the fact that this guy, like, he doesn't need to worry about the oxen, it's an excuse. And it's not a very good excuse. Um, and the man who had just gotten married, like, there's a couple of reasons this might have happened. He may have wanted to definitely have a kid in the near future. Um, and so, like, no time to party. Um, it's also the case that sometimes ancient world, like, they would have banquets where women weren't invited. And he's like, hey, I don't want to come without my wife. This is more important. The bottom line of it all is either, well, all of them said, what is in front of me right now is more important than what you're doing. They're all so focused on their own situation that they can't be bothered to go anywhere, that they can't be bothered. Honestly, they, they're happier to insult this guy than to show up at his, at his house, um, than to miss out on what they're doing. Like, they, they are unwilling to walk away. I'm going to hit pause here because there's a bit of irony in this um, as it relates to us. How many of y'all, like, find that you're too busy sometimes? I will deal with God when I have time, right? I will, I hate to, I never talk about it, but I, I, I will, that was something I said to my wife for years. You know what, I'll start, or actually not for years until we got married, but I always say, well, I'll start tithing when I actually make enough money to tithe. And my wife said, no, this is how it works. If you're going to be married to me, this is how it's going to be, Right. Or, um, you know what, I'll start taking care of the poor when I get enough money to not be poor myself, right? I'll pray when I have a few extra minutes to pray. Um, I actually had a kid in rehab tell me that once. She's like, you know what, I don't know why it is, but I only pray when I'm on the toilet or in the shower or right before I fall to sleep, and I can't really seem to pray any other time. And I said, oh, yeah, that's your throwaway time. you got nothing else to do, right? Except now we have cell phones, so it's just in the shower, um, the point <laughs> that was not meant to be funny um, I will give God time to talk to him when I have time I will get to know God when I have time I will meditate on scripture when I have time I will get together with brothers and sisters in Christ when I have time I will actually I'll advance the cause of the kingdom when I have time I'll go to Ecolac and help build summer camps when I have time. Um, what I'm doing now is more important. And that's basically the thing that, that they're saying. Hey, I haven't got time for this. Um, oh, already did Deuteronomy. Don't have to read that again. Uh, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master is super insulted, biggest insult he could possibly receive in the ancient world. And the master said of the servant, the master of the house became angry and said to a servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Now, what has just happened is the master of the house has gone from being socially accepted, important, popular, of high regard, and he has stepped from being of high regard to being a person of extremely low regard, right? Everybody who's important around him turned their backs on him and said, you're not worthy of us. And so he said, well, if I'm not worthy, then I'm going to bring in everybody else. 
These are the people who have nothing to compete with, right? This is me in high school, actually, and me in junior high, right? Uh, not good looking, not rich, not athletic, not witty, not any of that stuff, like social outcast, right? These are guys who cannot become acceptable to God. The analogy, of course, is he's talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are like, yeah, we'll take you seriously when it's our time, right? The great banquet's in eternity, not now. We're not worried about it. We're going to socially jockey with you and play stupid religious games. And as a result, they missed the dinner, even though they were there, which is crazy because they're sitting at the dinner with the Messiah himself. Like, they're right there. And they miss it because they're so worried about everything else. Um, And so he brings in the people who had no chance of getting there. The crippled, the blind, the lame. The people around him that are, that are, that are unacceptable. Um, which is actually the great thing about the kingdom of God. You don't have to be perfect. You don't even have to be that good. Like Jesus doesn't die for me because I'm a great guy. Right? God didn't send his son to save people who didn't need saving. As Jesus once said, like it's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. And these Pharisees are sitting there dead inside and thinking, well, we're doing just fine. And in reality, like, in reality, they were missing it. Um, And so Jesus says, hey, or bring in the lame, bring in the blind, bring in the cripple, bring in the losers. And the servant said, sir, we are what you have commanded has been done. And there is still room. Um, Now watch this. And this is a really cool one. The master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house might be filled. Now, in our culture, the highways and the hedges is like maybe out where the Durgas live, right? I mean, that's, that's out of town, uh, way out of town. Or the O'Neills aren't here, I'd point that out, because um, they're way, way out of town. Um, it isn't quite like that. The people who would live in the highways and hedges are the people who weren't allowed in town. These would be lepers, right? These would be... Um, People who are debtors. These would be people who have like severe social diseases. These would be probably Samaritans actually wouldn't be welcome in a Jewish city. Um, these are people who are like beyond just losers. They are they're people who have to walk down the street and yell out unclean so you know how to get away from them, right? Like I, uh, when I worked at the children's home, we had a, a program for juvenile sex offenders, like uh, boys who were like 7 to 12. Right, and they uh, that, that were sex offenders, and most of them had been horribly abused before, and that's how that starts. And these boys, we had them go to church every Sunday, and they loved the church they were going to. And it was hard because, like, sending them to church, they had to be in their own row, right? Because, well, because they're they're dangerous, right? They had to be in their own row, and they had to like have a certain bubble around them. And like when you greeted them, you had to be aware. And so the pastor and the youth pastor at that church knew about it knew who they were, and everybody else assumed they were just kids who showed up in a group until one day folks found out, and all of a sudden their rows that were reserved, like people just showed up and took down their reserve signs and took their spots, and they were no longer welcome, right? And nobody talked to them anymore. And it became very clear that they went from being welcome to not welcome, but honestly, like, I bring my kids to church. If I had a row of sex offenders sitting there, I would be uncomfortable, right? Um, We started that program because we wanted to minister to the lepers of the 20th century. And they are lepers, aren't they? I want to go near that guy. 
But these are the last guys that Jesus invites. He says, hey, go out to the highways and byways. Get the people no one wants to be around, the people everyone hates, and bring them in. They're all invited. And ultimately, like that's the great thing about God's kingdom. That's maybe the great and horrible thing. Um, the master concludes his teaching. He says, for I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Um, what he's saying is the religious folks, these folks who knew they had it together and thought so much of themselves that they don't see me and they don't know me, that their own business is more important than me, they're not the ones who are invited. The people who are invited are the people who know they're not worthy to show up. Like if you show up and talk to Jesus because you're going to give him his time because, you know, you probably earned it, no, right? God didn't chase after us because we're wonderful. God chases after us because we need help, because we need to be saved, because we need to be cleaned up, because we need to be washed, because I couldn't hang on the cross and die for my own sins, right? So I needed him to do it for me. These are the people that God invites ultimately. Um, Matthew preaches this, or t- wrote, recorded a slightly different version of this uh, message. And I'm going to include the end here because I think it adds kind of a different flavor. Um, it was probably taught on a different occasion. And in this one, it's a king and a wedding feast. But the, uh, the last line in this one is, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garments. Now, a quick pause. If you're a really wealthy person and you're having a great banquet, like a big dinner or a big party, you would provide clothes for your guests. Isn't that weird? Like it was a common practice for kings to say, hey, here is the fancy dress for our occasion so everybody would match, right? And so this guy shows up and he doesn't get dressed. Like he has clothes provided for him, but he doesn't get dressed, right? And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless, Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Um, What Matthew is talking about here is um, we're all invited to this feast, right? We are all invited to spend time with Jesus. We're all invited to know Jesus. We're all invited to, like, God's home. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve it. We are the refuse of of the world because we've offended God. We're all brought in. Ultimately, though, we have to be clothed by him to be ready, right? And so the king would clothe them, and what we're clothed in is righteous righteousness, right? Like Jesus died because, I, because I'm bad. And if I'm in God's court, if I'm in God's presence, and I'm covered by Jesus, I'm acceptable. It's the only way. Um, my challenge to you today and my application, what do we do with this? Um, My first question is, like, God invites all of us. God calls all of us to respond to his calling. Like, do you take God seriously? Or is it fifth on the list? You know, well, I got a new wife. I got some family obligations. And, man, there are people who put family well above God. I mean, like, like it's it's just the truth. I mean, like, you know, I'll... I need to spend time praying, but I would much rather watch TV with a family. You know, and I'm not knocking family time. I love family time. I spend a lot of time with my family. But ultimately, family lands under the lens of our relationship with God, right? Not the other way around. Our relationship with God doesn't land under the lens of our family. 
Um, but sometimes we make it more important. Sometimes we make our social situation more important. Sometimes we make our wealth more important. Sometimes we make our only, own beefs with God more important. Anybody ever do that? I am mad at God. I ain't talking to you. I did that once in college. It was the roughest day of my life. <laughs> um, but I know folks who spend years not talking to God because they're just mad or they're hurt or they're ashamed, and they're so ashamed that they can't come into his presence because their own stuff is more important. Ultimately, God is calling all of us to this great banquet, to this great dinner in eternity, honestly, in the now, because if we follow Christ, we're in relationship with him, and eternity starts now, and like we get to enjoy this life in a completely different way, but a lot of us are just too busy to do it. Where are you? Have you answered that, that, that calling? And what does it even look like? Because that's really nebulous, right? I know how to show up to a dinner. Right? I do. <laughs> you can ask around. I know how to help myself at a dinner. Um, how do I answer God's call to the great banquet? Well, I've got to commit my life to Jesus to start off with. Right? Like showing up to church doesn't do it. Committing your life to Christ, meaning he is my boss. I belong to him. I am bought with a price. Paul described himself as a bondservant, literally a slave to Christ. I belong to Jesus. I love my wife. Jesus is higher on my list than, than my wife. I love my wife better because I love Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm able to be the husband I'm supposed to be because Jesus cleansed me and has made me new every day. Like, like, but Jesus has to be at that number one. We've got to, like, answering that commitment, answering that call is saying, I will belong to him, I will follow him. And not saying it flippantly or in passing. We'll talk about that next week. It is a big deal. Following Jesus is... A lifelong commitment. In fact, such a lifelong commitment that Jesus often would say things to make people go away. Right? He would say things like, hey, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Take up your cross in our culture, like pretty gold necklace, I'll wear one. In that culture, it was be nailed to a piece of wood and die a horrible death with everybody you know hating you. Sure, I'll join your movement. <laughs> Did you see the no solicitor sign on my door? Um, Answering God's call is a lifelong, an eternity-long prospect, but it's a, gift that's, it's a gift that's worth receiving, and it's a gift you can miss easily because we're too doggone busy, right? Because we're too worried, because we're too ashamed sometimes, because we don't want to take it seriously, because we don't want to become one of those religious weirdos, um, because we don't want a lot of things. But ultimately, Jesus steps up and he says, hey, I'm it. You've got to walk with me. You've got to take me seriously. You've got to love the folks around you. Part of the kingdom is serving people around you. Um, what was it James said? Like, you, wanna, you tell me about your faith, I'll show you my faith by what I do, right? Like, I know believers when I see them because they're people who are different. They're people who feed hungry folks. They're people who are patient with people who can give them nothing or make them crazy because they make everybody crazy. Um, it's a lifestyle of obeying Christ, applying his teachings, and becoming a new person. We're going to close in prayer. My challenge for you again is, like, if you answer that invitation, like it's an invitation every one of you have heard, right? If you're sitting here today, you can't say that you haven't heard it, right? You can't unhear it. Um, but have you answered it? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would touch our hearts and our minds and Help us to step away from the busyness of everything in life that seems so important. Help us to answer the call, the invitation to your banquet, to your dinner. 
Lord God, to your party even. We, we put it in all these terms but to make it sound holy, but ultimately you're inviting us to the party that is following Jesus. And it's a party that has hard days and has easy days, Lord, but help us to be people who, who glorify you and who we are, like who celebrate your gifts and your life in our relationship with each other. Help us to be your people, Lord. Make us new um, in everything that we do. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good day, guys. And don't forget, to dinner on Friday, let me know so I can put you on the list.